right, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good morning. Uh, I love Sundays. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited that the Dallas Cowboys have like a lunchtime game, so that's going to be really fun for me. Uh, So praise God for the Lord's team and the Lord's people worshiping together. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Posey family joining us online. They welcomed their newborn baby, Nolan, last month. So shout out to them and shout out to everyone joining us uh, online. If this is your first time joining us, my name is Pastor Alberto, and I serve here as the lead pastor along our co-elder, Thaddeus Evan Brown, uh, with Chief Elder Jesus being the chief shepherd and elder uh, of this church. Uh, I'm, uh, it's, it's so funny because uh, I love Sunday mornings because people ask me, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And my answer has been consistently like, I don't remember. Like, I don't know what's going on in my life. And, and the reason being is because our son just started walking and he's a full-time walker and, and his rhythms are uh, all messed up. And so he doesn't sleep the same and he wakes up at random different times. And uh, it had me thinking uh, about uh, the nature of, of his walking and uh, our walk with Jesus. So if you don't mind, I'm going to share an illustration about my son and then connect it to our, our faith in Christ. So here we go. Uh, we like to go for walks uh, around our home because it tires him out. And uh, already at the tender age of like 15 months, he's already exuding radical independence. Uh, the guy does not want to hold my hand, and he just wants to kind of do his own thing. Uh, sometimes he'll go open the door by himself, and uh, if we let him, he'll just walk right on out uh, of our home and, and go do his own thing. And I love it, because I'm like, man, this is so amazing to me. You can walk, and you have no idea where you're going, but you're walking in faith, and uh, it does not matter to you in your diaper shoeless, he's doing it. And uh, I've been trying to teach him, hey, I want you to hold my hand when we walk. And uh, I want to set the pace, set the rhythm, set the direction for where we're going. And what he likes to do is just pull away and turn around and go in the opposite direction. Now, if I can connect this to our walk with Jesus, more often than not, this is the way we approach our spirituality. This is the way we approach following Christ. Where the Lord Jesus wants to hold our hand and be the king of our life and call us to live for him and do things his way. But more often than not, we want to practice radical independence and follow Jesus on our own terms. We want to follow Jesus according to our own standards. We want to follow him more often than not individually, privately, than in, uh, than publicly with the assembly, the gathering of the saints. And I believe one of the reasons why we do this, one of the reasons why we, we choose to follow Jesus independently or, or privately uh, is because we often believe that God isn't at work in our life, and so we have to do things our way. And if we're really honest with ourselves, if we take a a moment to examine those moments in our life where we're practicing radical independence and and individually walking on our own, not according to Jesus' standards, but our own, what we're really saying and what we're really doing in that moment is, is proclaiming that, God, I don't know if your way will work, so let me do it my way. I don't know if being uh, fully obedient to your scripture uh, will work out for me, so let me do it my own way. And what we're subtly saying in one way or another is that maybe we've already been let down by God. So why would we want to do it his way all over again? And we choose to privately follow Jesus because if we feel like God can't meet us where we are and move on our behalf privately, then we don't want to open up our lives publicly And I believe it's one of the reasons why we let people out. Because we believe that maybe God isn't working or that truly doing 
things his way isn't worth it. And I want to praise God because the scriptures offer a completely different vision for living. Uh, The scriptures actually call us not to an individual relationship uh, where we kind of walk apart from God, but where we hold hands with him and we hold hands with his people and we walk in unity. That the scriptures call us not to live apart from the family, but to be a unified family following Jesus together. And the text we're about to read will show us how we ought to live in unity and more importantly, how unity will fuel our mission as our unity will display to the world around us the power of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 20 and then make our way to uh, verse 3 in chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I want to invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. We stand in reverence of God's word as his word has the supreme authority over our life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. If you're joining us online, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. This is what it says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 4. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Father, we praise you for this Sunday morning. Uh, Lord. Uh, I'm, as we're in worship, I'm just so humbled by the gift of, of this great assembly of saints. Uh, that we get to worship with our words and song. That we get to commune with one another as we exchange our life. That we get to pray and look into your word. And that mysteriously in there you come and remind us. As Jessica said, that you in us is, is, is the hope of glory. And Lord, as we look into this word, I pray that you would transform us. Uh, let our hearts be good soil, that, that uh, this word would take root and bring about great transformation. Uh, let us not be hard soil where it just kind of falls off and is picked off by distractions or the enemy. Help us to be rooted this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of make our way through these uh, verses and highlight some specific details. uh, And then towards the end, really uh, discuss how this speaks to the everyday stuff of life. How this speaks to us as we follow Jesus together. So verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, uh, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So we're going to discuss that word walk. Uh, We know walk as this physical activity, moving from point A to point B. But in this ancient uh, Hebrew context, walk was sort of an idiom, uh, a metaphor for a way of life, 
Uh, walk represented sort of your, your conduct. It was a comprehensive expression to describe how people lived and, con- and conducted themselves. Uh, this person walked with the Lord. So it sort of expressed or, or described this idea that, that they walk with Jesus, that their life is oriented around God. This person walked in the ways of the world. So it's sort of this idea that, that your life is influenced and is shaped, not by God, but by the scripts, the way the world tells you to live. And Paul is calling us, the author of this text is saying, walk worthy of the calling. And calling here does not mean professional ministry. Uh, It's one of those words that maybe if you've grown up in a religious context, you hear that a lot. I've been called to the ministry. I've been called to the mission field. I've been called to serve the Lord. And Paul, when he's using this word, is not referring to a ministry calling. Rather, what he's talking about is salvation. Uh, Paul is talking about being called by God to be into uh, to enter into a relationship with him calling means invitation that God has invited you to enter into a relationship with him where you no longer live for yourself but you live in union and relationship with him it means to be invited to enter into a personal relationship with God and when you're called by God Uh, When God appears to you and invites you into a relationship with him, there's two responses. One, faith rises up in your soul and you're moved to belief and you say yes to this invitation. You say yes to this relationship. And the second response is living a life of obedience to God. Uh, we see this where Abraham was called by God in Genesis and, uh, and commissioned to go enter into a foreign land and be his representative and, and the heir of a great promise that would eventually lead to Jesus. And Abraham responded to this call through faith that moved him to be obedient to all that God has called him to be uh, and do. So when you're called by God, when God invites you into a relationship with him, the first response is faith. Wow, Uh, you're moved to believe through the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And the next response is the Spirit working in you to be obedient to all that God's called you to be. Calling is an invitation to be in relationship with God. And so when we respond to this invitation, the idea here is that God's love is so great. That God's love is so amazing, that God's love is so wonderful, that there's nothing else like it, that nothing in this world can satisfy you and fulfill you like his love, that he has powerfully saved you. That Jesus has saved you from your sin, from your shame, from your guilt, that he's powerfully saved you and redeemed you and set you free. That he's offered you reconciliation. And Paul is saying, if this is true, this is true for you, then you should live accordingly. That if you really believe God loves you, that if you really believe that he saved you from your sin, if you really believe that he loves you, then this work of God should come inside of us and it should shift and rearrange the way that we live and pursue relationship with him. And so if we're going to be his representatives, If we're going to live in relationship with God, we must be shaped. We must be formed by God's love and live in light of being called by God. So so what does living called look like? Uh, How do we live a life 
uh, of obedience to Jesus. The Apostle Paul says we do this with humility. We do this with gentleness. We do this with patience and love. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Uh, and what's so amazing about this is that the first thing that Paul addresses is humility. Uh, and and uh, I, one of the reasons why I, I love the Bible so much and I love uh, sermon prepping is because the Lord instantly just speaks to me. He just gave me a list of four things this week that I was terrible at. Uh, I'm not good at humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Uh, and the Lord, uh, through his word, was convicting me and stirring me up. So if it sounds like I'm preaching more to myself, that's cool. I invite you to come on to the journey if you can relate with this. Uh, but it's so amazing that Paul addresses humility first. Why? Because he starts with directing our attention inwardly. Humility is about looking inwardly inside of yourself and the rest of these attributes focus outwardly. Uh, Gentleness, patience, and love is focused outwardly. Humility is directed inward. And he starts inward because the first barrier to living a life of unity and walking with God, let's be honest, is ourselves. And so let's briefly address humility. For the Apostle Paul, humility was a necessary component for following Jesus. It was essential for being a follower of Jesus. And the word that the Apostle Paul uses for humility focuses on one's thinking. It's directed inwardly. So it's directly translated, literally, it means lowliness of mind or thinking low. Lowliness of mind or thinking low as opposed to arrogance and pride. Uh, Now let me clarify something here. Thinking low or lowliness of mind, does not mean anti-intellectual. The call to being a follower of Jesus is to not renounce science and intellect. Rather, it's to embrace a life where you are not arrogant and pride and fueling your life based on knowledge, but it's fueled on your relationship with Jesus. Thinking low does not mean anti-intellectual. Thinking low does not mean self-deprecation. Thinking low does not mean belittling yourself. It does not mean excessively criticizing yourself. Thinking low does not mean to disregard your emotions and needs. As one author says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And I would add, thinking of God more. That humility is thinking less uh, of your is thinking of yourself less, and thinking more about God, uh, or, or as I would say, thinking low to think high, uh, thinking low or less uh, of yourself less, so that you can think more about God and direct your attention and direct your mind on who God is and what He's done for you, and letting that fuel your identity and worth, and not so much your self-perceived intrinsic worth. And what happens when we do this? What happens when we consider ourselves less and think more about God is that we discover a God who thinks highly of us. Church, when we think of ourselves less and think more about God, you will discover a God who thinks highly about you. You will discover a God who thinks highly about you with loving kindness who thinks highly of you and is proud of you. You will discover a God who enjoys you and is for you and is with you. 
you will discover a God who delights in you and is not angry with you or annoyed by you. You will discover a God who thinks the world of you. And we'll see that God's love in the person of Christ as he dies to save a world, to save a people from their sin who would place their faith in him. That as we consider ourselves less and think more about God, we discover a God who thinks highly of us. Thinking low to think high and discover a God who thinks highly of you. And then you can accurately think about yourself. Uh, That as you see yourself in light of who Jesus is and you see your life and worth found in him, you'll see who you really are in light of Christ Jesus. Not defined by what the world says about you, not not defined by how social media or specific friend groups call you to live, but defined by who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Humility is attached to self-worth, but our worth is not found in what we can accomplish, what we can do. It's not found in making a name for ourselves. It's found in Christ and making much of his name. And where self-deprecation and self-criticism and false humility go desperately wrong is that you undervalue yourself according to your own judgments according to your own self-perceived thoughts and your worth about yourself, and it leads to destructive behaviors. And this way of living is so countercultural. Uh, in, in the first century context, thinking low or, or lowliness of mind, practicing humility was a negative trait. Uh, it was a negative uh, trait in this ancient Greek society who, who claimed that sophistication and knowledge was the highest level of worth and life. But in the kingdom of God, Thinking low is not a negative experience. It is highly praised and viewed as a positive experience. Why? Because it is a liberating place to be in when you place God before you and above you. You will find freedom in no other place than setting God before you and above you in all that you do. Why? Because that's the way you were designed to live. And any other way of living is adultery is idolatry. It's placing a, 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 it's placing a different love, a different person, a different idol before you and above you to satisfy you, fulfill you, and complete you. And your worth will be found in what you can do, what you can give, what you can accomplish. Where when we place God before us and above us, we walk in the purpose that he's called us. We become receivers of his grace of his love, of his value, security, identity, not one that is achieved, simply received as we place him before us and above us. As one author says, an understanding of God's work is always an attack on the ego, not to obliterate or humiliate the self, but to bring it into relationship with God and redirect its interests. In losing life, we find it. In losing ourselves, in giving ourselves to the Lordship, to King Jesus, we actually find life. We discover life because we're walking with the person of life, eternal life, who comes to give new life. God's calling to be in relationship with him is not a private relationship but a public one meant to be lived out with his people, the community of believers, the church. 
and display to the world and display to the world that you belong to God. As Christ-like humility takes root into our hearts, as Christ-like community anchors our soul, only then can we walk in gentleness, patience, and love and extend it to others. So let's discuss gentleness and patience. Uh, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Uh, So uh, gentleness is closely tied to to humility, but the idea is not inward like humility is. It's outward. It's how we treat others. Uh, It's important to know that gentleness does not imply weakness. Rather, gentleness means self-control and a tempered spirit. Uh, gentleness is, 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 is living from a posture of extending uh, kindness and tenderness that is first received by God towards others. It's not weakness, rather it's self-control. Patience, when we think about patience, we kind of think about it as the ability to endure for a, a really long time, to, to wait patiently, like you're in a drive-through, waiting patiently. Uh, You're waiting patiently for the commercials to be over so that you can get on with your show or movie. But the idea of patience presented in the scripture is different. The idea of patience in the scripture is actually built off a few words that means slow to anger, long-suffering, enduring with purpose. So being slow to anger. I can think of fewer things that are more destructive to relationships than anger. And in fact, Jesus connects murder to the anger that's in the heart. And when you think about this, it is anger taking seed form in our heart that leads to all sorts of murderous acts. Where we begin to violently belittle people with our thoughts or with our words where it leads to gossip that causes derision and pain in relationships. Uh, It leads to rage and bitterness and division. We think of anger as simply uh, in the car, driving experience, or a moment of frustration. But Jesus calls anger the root for murder. Because when anger takes you to the deep end of the pool, it results in murdering one another violently. And that's the example that we see in Cain and Abel, uh, that a brother out of anger would murder his other brother. Why? Because that is what anger leads us to when it's not checked by the lordship of Christ. It can take us to the deep end of the pool where we see it lead to all sorts of violent acts, some lifeless, some casual, experiences of bitterness and rage and division. And what Paul is calling us to is to be patient and gentle with one another. Because Paul is calling us to be a unified family of believers. And nothing causes more division than the inability to be gentle and slow with one another as as we bring uh, correction and encourage one another in life. Nothing brings more destruction than letting anger serve as a barrier that keeps us from communing with one another. These two are essential for unity because a life void of patience and gentleness is destructive and damaging. The root for rage, for bitterness, and division. And the fourth essential for unity that Paul talks about is love. Uh, Bearing with one another in love. 
bearing with one another is such, a, uh, such an interesting word choice. Uh, we know that the scriptures were, were not written in English. They were translated uh, from Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. And, and, and this translation has kind of lost its force because it sounds a little bit outdated. It sounds a little formal and romantic. Bear with one another in love. Uh, but a more accurate translation is actually putting up with each other in love. See that? It's a little less formal. It's a little bit more sloppy. Like, man, I'm not going to put up with you in love. And, and yet that's the call to being a follower uh, of Jesus. That There's nothing fancy about putting up with one another in love. That there's nothing formal and romantic and pristine about this. There's nothing formal and romantic and pristine about God's great act of love on the cross where we see Jesus uh, being brutally murdered and shedding blood for our sins. There's nothing clean about that. There's nothing pristine. There's nothing romantic. There's nothing formal. Yet I love it because it's, it's the idea of putting up with each other, aggressively being involved in one another's life where it's messy and it's difficult. And putting up with each other in love, it, it's work and it's, it's a really hard to put up with each other in love. And in the kingdom of God, the way we value others is through love. Uh, specifically, the type of love that bears with one another, that puts up with each other. I want to read this quote from uh, Klein uh, Snodgrass, uh, something I read this week that uh, I love. He says, love, uh, or agape, the way God loves us, enjoys the other person. It does not exist for enjoyment. It is not a feeling or emotion, but an act of the will. It exists only in relation to specific people, and it is always costly. If loving somebody doesn't cost you something, if it doesn't inconvenience you, if it doesn't mess with your preferences, you're not loving The love experienced in Christ must be extended to others. The noun agape was rarely used outside Jewish sources and the Christian writings. A few secular occurrences are now known, but clearly Christians injected the word with new content to talk about the love in relationship to God. First, love from God. We receive love from God. Then also love for God as we lift up our worship unto him. And thirdly, for other people because of God. This love does not have its origin in human motivation. It is a choice made because of the love of God. Love does not exist for our enjoyment. It is an act of the will. Now, love does bring us joy, but the primary reason why we extend love to others is not to receive the joy. It's selfless. It costs us something. You see that cost at the cross. When Jesus dies uh, to adopt us and make us children of God, we become a part of God's family, which means that the followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, we are a part of one another. There is no other way around it. We are connected to one another, grafted and unified by the blood of Jesus. We are connected to one another. We belong to one another. That means that we are to receive one another, that we are to build up one another, that we are to serve one another, that we are to put up with one another in love, loving one another into all that God has called us to be. I love this other quote I read this week. Christianity is a God-directed, Christ-defined 
other-oriented religion. Only with such direction away from self do we find ourselves. Uh, Christianity is a God-directed, Christ-defined, other-oriented religion. Only with such direction away from self do we find ourselves. But the way that we were designed to live was the way that Jesus lived. A servant of all. Living for the glory of God. And then and only then can we really find who we are as we walk according to the purpose that he's called us to. We find ourselves when we live for God. We find ourselves when we let Jesus define us and we direct our lives towards others. We direct our lives towards others in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in love. Let's be honest. This is really hard to do. And if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think anybody in here would say, man, I, I have a PhD in all four of these things. I'm just an expert at being uh, humble, gentle, patient, and loving. And if you believe that, you've already missed the first one. Um, so you're not. <laughs> uh, this is a really hard, this is a really difficult thing to do. And sometimes it feels like it's impossible If we're honest with ourselves, it feels like it's impossible to direct our lives towards God. It feels like it's impossible to live for him and be aware of him and commune with him. And it makes everything else so difficult. It seems like there's so many distractions at work, so many distractions at home, so many distractions with our friendships that it seems impossible to direct our heart towards God. And it seems like it's so difficult to let Christ define our lives. If we're honest with ourselves, it's one thing to say, man, yeah, my identity is found in Christ and Christ defines me. But it's an entirely different thing to actually believe it and get it down inside of your soul and then live it out in such a way where the world looks in on you and says, man, you are so defined by Christ that I don't see you. I see Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're honest with ourselves. It's hard. It's difficult. Because we're painfully aware of our shame. We're painfully aware of the baggage that we've been carrying for years. We're painfully aware of the secrets that are locked up in our hearts that no one else knows about. And if somebody did, we fear we would lose everything. We're painfully aware of the subtle reminders of failure and feeling like we're not good enough or worthy enough. So how on earth can I live a life worthy of the calling? It's hard to be humble. It's hard to be gentle. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to be loving. Instead, it's so natural to be prideful. It's so natural to have either a low view of yourself or a high view of yourself. It's so natural to be unkind, impatient, and unloving. And if you feel this way, If this is your experience, I want you to know that there's good news for you. I want you to know that verse 3 is written for you. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, Another translation says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How is this good news? Well, the reason why it seems like we're not unified out there is because we're divided in here. 
and a more accurate depiction of our lives is not that we're intentionally exuding pride and anger and hate towards others. More often than not, that is how we treat ourselves. And then that's what comes out of us towards others. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that the Spirit brings unity. The Spirit brings wholeness. That you don't have to create for yourself a life of gentleness, patience, lovingness, kindness. That you don't have to create for yourself an attitude where you just on the surface level believe that you're identified and found in Christ. The Spirit comes and makes you whole. The Spirit comes and brings unity to all the division that you're experiencing internally. The Spirit comes and brings that. You don't have to create it. And the Spirit works to unite us to God and to take all of the division and all of the inner compartments and all of the inner turmoil and make us one with Him. And as we become one with Him and as we grow in oneness with Him, or what Paul calls union with Him, all the inner divided parts of our life, all of the inner turmoil begin to be made whole as we are bonded with peace, the peace of God, as we are linked and attached, bonded in peace with him. How? Because the great peacemaker died to make us whole. Jesus, the great peacemaker, died to make you whole. Jesus, the great peacemaker died to get inside of your life and take all of the sin that causes all sorts of division to take all of the sin that leaves you with so much baggage and shame to take all of the sin sin that has uh, literally destructed yourself internally and has left you in pieces the great peacemaker has come in to rearrange everything not because of who you are or what you've done but because of his great love for you and his power to overcome the sin that brings so much division the great peacemaker comes in and takes all of those pieces and makes them whole the great peacemaker has come to bring unity not through you creating it but received as a gift from him that is why Paul, before these verses that we just read, 1 and 3, when we go back to chapter uh, 3, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to his power at work within us. Now when Paul is saying this, he's saying, my goodness, God is so powerful, God is so amazing, that in this context, he can take the most hostile groups of people, Gentiles and Jews, and unite them and make them one church. That God is powerful enough to remove all of the racial division, to remove all the prejudices, to remove all the powers of hostility that are at work one another and create for himself one unified family. And that same power is at work within us that is making us whole so that we can be unified to one another. Uh, Church, I'm trying to say this is great power at work within you. This is present tense at work within you. Paul does not say, I need you to be made aware of this so that the power can be at work in you. It's already at work within you. The power of God to bring unity internally that extends outward with others is already at work within you. Even if you're thinking about it, even if you believe it, even if you don't sense it, God is not limited by your words. Who can do more 
abundantly than you can ask. He is not limited by your best words, and he's not limited by your worst words. And hear me, he's not limited by your absence of words. God can do far more abundantly than all you can ask or think. He is not limited by your thoughts. He is not limited by your best thoughts. He is not limited by your worst thoughts. He's not limited by your absence of thoughts, whether you're thinking about him or not. If you find yourself in Christ Jesus this morning, his power is at work within you, inching you, moving you one degree closer to him from glory to glory to glory as you become more like him. The work of God to bring unity and peace to your life is beyond your expectations and thoughts. And this is good news, church, because his power is already at work within us. You don't have to create a life of peace and gentleness and patience and love for yourself. He is bringing it. He is working it out in you as we commune with him And stay attached to him. He's already working despite your thoughts or expectations. Despite your baggage or failures. There is power. There is power this morning made available for you. That overcomes all of the forces that cause division within ourselves. And leads leads to division with others. There is power this morning. And as we submit our lives as we submit the whole of our lives to King Jesus, we will see his power at work in us, making us more like him. How do you see his power at work? How do you see God mending and making whole all the inner brokenness in our lives? We submit ourselves to King Jesus and let him make us whole as we continue to abide with him and submit our lives to him. His power is at work in us, making him more like him. What is he like? He's humble. He's gentle. He's patient. And he's loving. And as we submit our lives to him, we become more and more like him. Walking in peace, walking in wholeness, walking in unity with God and one another. His mighty power will enable you to live this out. And so this morning, as we come to prayer, that's where I want to close. I want us to posture ourselves in this place of prayer where we receive the power of the Spirit that is making us whole and creating unity with one another. And we receive the peace of God that silences all of the inner turmoil and thoughts and shame and baggage. And as we receive his power and as we receive his peace, we will see, slowly but surely, God making us more like him and growing this fruit of humility, gentleness, patience, and love as we are attached to the vine. Let's come to Jesus in prayer. Lord, Grace can seem so scandalous because you just want us. You don't want what we have to offer or what we can bring. Uh, You don't dismiss us because of our best thoughts or actions. And uh, you 
don't deny us when uh, we've just given over to sin and thought low of you. Lord, I'm just so thankful this morning that you receive us unconditionally in Christ Jesus. That you've drawn near to us and you have brought peace. You have brought unity. You have brought wholeness. You have made available for us a better way to live. Not a life and living for ourselves, but one that is directed towards you. One that is found in you. And one that is given in service to others. So Lord, I pray that this morning we would experience the, the truth of this word. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, all that we think, according to the power at work within us. Lord, would your power overwhelm us right now this morning? Would you make us aware of your power at work? Would your power come like a flood into our hearts and and as it floods our lives, would it carry away all of the lesser things that we've been gripping and attaching ourselves to? As your power floods our heart, would this flood carry away pride, anger, impatience? Lord, as you wash over us, Would your, would we be like springs of living water? Springs of new life with gentleness and with patience and with love and kindness spring forth. Not because of our actions or behaviors or words, but because, but because of your power at work in us as we willingly and joyfully submit ourselves to you. Help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to abide and be found in you. In Jesus' name.